You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 11 years, over the last 11 years, actually, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in all the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we've got a certain amount of stuff to talk about this week. You had Ilya Topuria just beat the brakes off of Josh Emmett in a featherweight main event over there at UFC Fight Night. This one coming to you from Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena down there in Jacksonville, Florida. You also had granddaddy of them all a PFL event where perhaps there was some malfeasance. Some monkeying with the tournament. These ding dongs are jiggering with the tournament, Ben folks. Oh, no, they're in there jigger with the tournament. They're in there jury rigging it. Jury rigging the tournament is what they're doing. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, And of course. Fight of the century, ongoing rumors about two of the richest men in the world about to do the damn thing in the cage. We'll spend a couple minutes talking about that at least. First, though, before we get into any of that, Ben, you look like you're doing okay, but you had a, I don't know if I want to call it a near-death experience, but you had a you had a traumatic happening over the weekend, right? Well, anybody who has ever driven around the fine state of Montana, especially during the summertime, knows that, uh, Chad, that's... That's rock chip season. Yeah. Those rocks be flying off a truck somewhere. Doesn't take much. Tiny little pebble when you're flying through the countryside at 80 miles an hour. Ding off your windshield. You get a crack. Maybe it's long enough or, or big enough that you have to get your windshield replaced. I've had this happen several times. I'm on my fourth windshield on this car that I've wow. owned for like the last four years. That's like one windshield a year. Basically. And yet, I never had one quite as bad as this before, where basically a baseball-sized dent right in the middle of the windshield as I was driving on Highway 93 with my daughters last week. And it was bad enough where it smashed our windshield and glass came through on the inside of the car. Not just the outside windshield getting banged up, but bad enough to where there's a significant amount of glass on the inside which thank goodness for my steely nerves that just took it in stride didn't didn't freak out didn't let it uh distract me or force me to lose control of the car or anything held it together and i think successfully convinced my daughters that it was no big deal that this kind Hmm. of thing just happens while internally i'm going holy shit yeah. You see the size of that rock came through here. Uh that that could have been bad. Yeah, glass inside the car, giant baseball sized, as you said, dent in the window. You sent me a picture of it. It's really it's really something to see. Uh that's you know, that's why they have the window, the front yeah. windshield. They they've probably learned that the hard way back in the day of the horseless carriage. They they decided you need to get the windscreen, as they call it, across the pond up there. But yeah, man, that's uh that's really something. I've never had that. I've actually uh, never had the front window of my car replaced. And here you wow. are, four, four in the last four years, averaging one per year. That's that's remarkable. 
it is kind of remarkable. I'm frankly a little tired of it. I think, you know what, this new windshield that I just got put on, I kind of like it. I'd like for it to stick around a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if I need to be. Although we did have a moment where I was remarking to my daughters after we went, we got it replaced, picked it back up afterwards. And I was like, you'll never see a cleaner or clearer windshield than when you get that windshield replaced. And trying to put a positive spin on it. And my daughter, without really quite realizing it, uh, noted that it was so amazingly clear. It's like you could see right through it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, that is that is kind of what we're doing here with the windshield. That's kind of the whole concept, really. Yep, that's what it's there for. Uh, just another reminder before we move on, we still got the fundraiser active for our guy, Andrew Millington, who was injured in a fall a couple of weeks ago. Uh, shout out to the Comaniacs, though. We blew right through that initial $5,000 goal. We've raised almost $10,000 for Andrew and his family. But the bad news is they just started getting the bills. Yeah. Bills started rolling in this week. Turns out they're in the whole 17 grand for the, uh, the medical treatment and the hospital stay that Andrew had to have for his, uh, treatment there after the accident. So we'd, we'd love it. If, if you haven't given go over there, find the GoFundMe. It's over on my uh, Twitter page. I will retweet it again today. I'll also put up a post on the Comate Event Podcast Patreon page that everyone can see. If you haven't, if you got a couple bucks to spare and you haven't donated yet, please get in there and give to Andrew's family. He's a great guy. He's given a lot to both this podcast and the MMA community over the years. We'd love it if we could get to that $17,000 level. So stop by over at patreon.com slash event. Share a couple of bucks with the family. They need a little help right now. I like how you put it that they started getting the medical bills because that's how they do you in mm-hmm. the American no. medical system. The best part is you'll pay it all and then like six months later, you'll get a stray. They'll, They'll be like, just you know send what? you we one were more. Thinking. Yeah. We, we just, just decided <laughs> you owe us an extra eight grand. We were sitting there and we were like, you know what? We actually did do more medicine on you than we had previously <laughs> thought. It's like when you have a baby, your kid turns two and all of a sudden you get one more bill. <laughs> From the doctor, just like, oh, here's one we misplaced. And another thing, like getting into an argument with a, a like a shitty partner. And another thing I was thinking at fucking 2 a.m. They wake <laughs> you up. Oh, come on. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But that's not all we've got for you. You can find the co-main event, Ben Folks and myself all week. Over on Patreon, hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main-event. Get loads of extra audio and video content, as well as access to our official Discord message board. The coolest people in MMA are constantly chatting it up over there. And the only rule on the board, no assholes. Uh, You can now sign up for a seven-day free trial as well over at the Patreon at the $5 level. If you've been wondering about the Patreon, but you're not sure what it is or how it works or if it's for you, you can go over there and check it out for free for seven days. And as you guys know, we can only keep making this show with the support from you, our awesome listeners. Come party with us. We think it's the funniest, smartest, most welcoming group of men and women talking fights online. So head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. You can also scoop up some dope CME merchandise. Just head over to our brand new merch shop where you'll find all your old favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes merch, and of course the bestseller on the market, that Bobby Nux shirt. Just go to the website comainevent.com and click the link at the top of the page that says shop. As you guys know by now, 
We partner with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. They are a brand and design studio. You've seen their work for a long time on the CME. Uh, our longtime collaborator, Johnny Ashcroft, we can't recommend him highly enough for all your design needs. Hit him up over there at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from our guy James, a.k.a. the Funk Soul Brother, a retired MMA fighter and hip-hop producer living in Seoul. If you, uh, if you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at Instagram.com slash FSB Beats over at YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. And as everybody knows by now, the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is S-E-O-U-L because that's where he lives. Soul, Funk Soul Brother. You see what he did there. Very clever. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Ilya Topuria is a bad man. And in round number two, PFL, what you doing, baby? And in round number three, if we learned anything at all from Zufa Boxing, it's that the UFC always prints the t-shirts first. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. Kids, have you signed up to get your free bonus month with NordVPN? When you go to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main, if you haven't, you really, really should. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware and threat protection. Ben, you and I both have this on all of our devices. I use it constantly. What's your favorite part of NordVPN? Well, you know, Chad, I love the way it kicks on to protect you as you bounce from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter if you're going down to the windshield repair shop. Doesn't then matter if you walk across the street to the mall to get yourself a cheesy pretzel while you wait. Doesn't matter if you're then wandering around the weird little craft store manned by one mean old lady when they tell you the windshield isn't ready yet. No matter where you are, that NordVPN kicks on, protects you keeps you safe. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. So you're telling me you drop your car off and they just put the windshield right on right at that moment? Just like one-stop shop, they get, oh, we got a windshield here that fits your car. We'll just pop that bad boy right on there. Well, you should call ahead. You don't, I wouldn't recommend just going down there and being like, hey, you got, you got one of my windshield back there? <laughs> I mean, with you, I would keep some in stock, if you don't mind me saying. If I was the windshield <laughs> guy, I would keep a few Ben Folks windows just in the back room because I know you're going to need them. I just, I would figure you go down there and drop it off. They'd be like, come back on Tuesday. That's, we'll have your shit done by then. You call them up and be like, hey, how about I swing by tomorrow morning? You put a new windshield on, take this broke-ass windshield off, and be honest with you, I don't even know what they do with it. I don't know what they do with that broke-ass windshield, Chad. I hope they recycle it, turn it into something useful. I hope that they have a little bit of fun with it first, honestly. (laughs) Hit it with a sledgehammer? Yeah, wouldn't you want to? Just to see. Just, you know, maybe it gets old for them. But I got to imagine your first three to six months on the job is really having some fun with those those windshields you take off. 
Sign up right now for any NordVPN handy two-year plan and get an additional month for free when you go to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. Of course, that offer includes all of the plans. They got the standard plan. They got the plus plan. They got the complete plan. It's all risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or just use the code, all one word, co-main. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Bubba Gump, who writes, remember way back when Burt Watson used to be a thing? Those were the days, huh? Well, in the words of our buddy Burt, Macy Barber is rolling. What should we make of this? Did we judge her too quickly? Ben Folks, Macy Barber went out there over the weekend women's flyweight co-main event on this UFC on ABC card. She got the second round TKO win over Amanda Hebas. You know, here's the thing about Macy Barber, who is only 25 years old, by the way. You take your eye off the ball for one second after she loses those back-to-back fights to Roxanne Modafferi and Alexa Grasso back in 2020, 2021. You, You look away for one second, you look back, she's won five in a row at this point and that's you know that's saying something for the young developing athlete in macy barber and this fight against amanda hebas she looked nasty out there in fact both the co-main and the main event of this ufc fight night event over the weekend were bloody bloody affairs the blood was flowing out there in the final two fights on this card uh she cuts her open with a nasty elbow in the clinch she seemed like maybe she broke her nose with a punch later in that fight and of course starts things off in the second round with the high kick that i think uh maybe stunned amanda hebas and then follows up with uh some shots on the feet drops her goes in with the ground and pound forces the stoppage in the second round what do you think at this point of macy barber is she a person that we perhaps judged too soon in her trajectory, in her development as an MMA fighter? I think the clear answer to that is yes. That, And I'm always saying this, that we are often, as a community, just too quick to label someone. We do it sometimes in both directions, where we get too quick to say, this person is the truth, they are going to be the next big thing, and we're all aboard the hype train. But even more so, we do it in the other direction where we say, oh, no, this person lost a couple. They're shit. Forget them. They'll never be anything. And especially when somebody as young, both chronologically and in the game, as Macy Barber, this is her 15th pro fight, as you said, 25 years old. There's still a lot that can happen at that point in a fighter's career. They're still growing and changing. They can be getting better. They can be getting worse. And especially when you look at two losses, granted, they're back-to-back losses, and that is always going to trigger some aspect of the fan base to say, uh, okay, this person's a bust. Forget it. Especially if they got excited about you when you were, you know, 7-0, and 8-0. But worth remembering, she injured her knee in that Roxanne Modafferi fight, which is not saying that, you know, wasn't still a loss. You lost. That stuff can happen to you. That still goes down as a loss. And then the next one, she loses a decision to Alexa Grasso. Worth remembering, Alexa Grasso, now the champ. So maybe not a career ender to lose a decision to that person. But then, yeah, reels off five in a row. This one looks dangerous. Looks Not only looking dangerous herself and what she can do to you, but it's pretty clear, I think, when you watch some of these recent Macy Barber fights that... She got a little bit of that dog in her, Chad Dennis. Yeah, she got a little She edge. got a little bit of that dog. You like to see the nastiness, I think. You do. Out there for Macy Barber. She's uh, She smells the blood. She goes out there. She gets the finish. 
She's she's got a little edge to her, which I like. Anyone, you know what? She fought Roxanne Modafferi and Alexa Grasso in like her fourth and fifth UFC fights, which is that's a big step up in competition, man, from fighting the JJ Aldriches and Jillian Robertsons of the world to then go in there against Roxanne, who of course was, you know, she was getting toward the end of it in terms of her MMA career by 2020. She only had a couple years left. She had been in the game for a long time, but she was still a crafty veteran. And it's tough yes. to go out there, especially when you injure yourself and beat somebody like Roxanne Modafferi, who's got so many more fights than you do. And Alexa Grasso, she was like on her 16th or 17th MMA fight. And here comes uh, Macy Barber, I think, in her ninth MMA fight, 10th MMA fight, something like that. So she's given up some experience to both of those people. And right now, man, you can't argue with the results. Five in a row, Amanda Hebas, Andrea Lee, Jessica I, Montana De La Rosa, and Miranda Maverick. Those are all people we know. And uh, Macy Barber has beat them all. She, I don't think the UFC rankings have been updated yet. She, I think, came into this fight at number 11. And so uh, I would expect to see her rise from there in the women's strawweight division. But like what you see, you'll, you'll love to see it, I guess, from Macy Barber. That's, that's the way I would put it. You know what's a bad sign, though, if you're on the other side of a fight like that is when you see somebody throwing a head kick at you and... As the leg is approaching your head, you can see clearly on their shin is already a significant smear of your blood. <laughs> yeah. That that's, ain't great. Uh, no, that's, you, you You already suffered it once. That's what they yeah. said. It already worked once. Here it once. comes again. Yeah. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from our guy, Darkwing Duck, frequent emailer to the podcast. They write, fan favorite Rose Namajunas, who you may remember from such films as I was the strawweight champion in my last fight, is suddenly headed up to flyweight to fight Manol Furio in September. Can someone help me make sense of this? And by someone, I mean you guys. Now, not only, Ben, is this an odd move, I think, for Rose Namajunas, who, as Darkwing Duck points out, was just very recently the champion at 115 pounds. She moves up to 125 to flyweight to fight Mano Furio in Paris. So kind of like a hometown uh, home game there for Mano Furio on the same card where Cyril Gaon is going to fight Sergei Spivak. This is, uh, this is a little bit of an odd booking for Rose Namajunas, who hasn't fought in a little while since that loss. But at the same time, I, I, don't, I don't know what we're doing here exactly. Yeah, it made me wonder if it was a situation of do you like her saying, Hey, give me a fight. I want to get back in there. You know, hasn't fought since that split decision loss. And frankly, one of the worst UFC title fights in history uh, yeah. that she had with Carla Esparza a little over a year ago. Do you think maybe it's something where she comes around and says, or maybe she's turned down some fights uh, in the intervening year wanting to take some time off, whatever. And then comes the UFC and says, Hey, give me a fight. Give me a fight. And they say, well, here's what we could do for you. If you wanted to go up there and wait and go cross the pond and fight in one, because it does seem like there's gotta be some sort of good explanation for it. Right? Yeah. Like, cause it's not like, you look at her and be like, well, okay, you you clearly hit a roadblock in this division and you need to change weight classes. Especially because it's not like uh, Rose Namudis was particularly big for that weight class to begin with. Yeah. Uh, Mano Furo, I'm probably butchering her name. I'm, my French pronunciation 
maybe not right on the ball. She's going to be coming into this thing off knee surgery, but she's undefeated in the octagon. She hasn't lost since she got beat by Leah McCourt by split decision way back in 2018 in Cage Warriors. And uh, she is now 10-1. and She just defeated Caitlin Chukagian in October of last year. I think she may have either called out Nama Yunus or asked for this fight or something. But here you got uh, Rose, Thug Rose, moving up to 125 in a move that I don't totally understand. But yeah, Ben, folks, one thing that we know for sure is that Rose Nama Yunus is going to march to the beat of her own drummer. She's going to do what she wants to do. Sometimes it's a little bit off the beaten path. Maybe she got tired of staying home uh, growing vegetables. And now she's she's back looking to get in a scrap at uh, 125. Yeah, and I mean, maybe she has a very clear plan here that she is following. Maybe she felt like her body was was changing as she got older and it was harder to make that weight. I don't know. It just feels like if I had two consecutive wins over the current champ in my division, as she does over uh, Zhang Wiley at strawweight, I, mean, I don't know if I would feel like that's the time where I got to go up and wait. I yeah. feel like that's the time when the, the champ would really love it if you did, if you if you move to a different bracket. You know, because otherwise you've got a pretty good claim if you could string together like one win against somebody else on a non-title affair in the same weight class. You could be like, hey, by the way, has anyone else noticed I've already beat the champ twice? Just saying. Yeah, no, uh, uh, that's a that's a solid point. Uh, Next question this week comes to us from Emperor Palpatine's anti-aging skin cream. Okay, so. Mm hmm. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for emailing us emperor palpatine's anti-aging skin cream they not write from emperor palpatine himself no from the anti-aging skin cream from that I the cream the sentient skin cream that he keeps in his medicine cabinet up there on the death star or wherever he happens to be he writes uh was justin taffa right should his fight with austin lane have been a dq instead of a no contest this one, I saw this described on Twitter as Austin Lane sticking his fingers in Justin Taffa's eyes like he was gripping a bowling ball. And I, <laughs> he totally was. Yeah. He did the fucking three stooges on this man, Chad. <laughs> like right away. You know, I get it. He wasn't trying to do it. But we're coming in there and he's sort of pushing off the face as we're uh, moving in close at the same time. But it was some fucking Manny Mo and curly ass shit. Just yoink. You could almost hear the little like bonk sound effect as he reaches his hand all the way up in there, which I got to say, so very MMA of us in those moments where Justin Taffa is down. We can look at him. He can't open his eye. <laughs> you know, his right eye is all the way closed. And the, the ref and the doctor, everybody kind of standing around being like, I don't know. What do you think? Think he could go? Like, how about, how about we give you a couple minutes, blink it out, see if you can just blink it out, and see if you'd be ready to go get back into a cage fight with this big man who is throwing hammers at your head. You just let us know when you feel like you're ready to continue that. And you're like, he cannot open one of his eyes. He would be clearly compromised as a result of an illegal move on his opponent's part right away. Right away in the fight. Yeah. And, you know, the doctor's trying to kind of hide his... His, his like lips behind his hand as he's talking to the ref. being like, well, I don't know. He, just, he did say he can't see. <laughs> and you're like, all right, guys, we could call it. We don't need to stand around here doing this for so long. Uh, I mean, I understand. I would be frustrated, too. If I go in there, I go into this fight, I'm doing my stuff. A guy just 
fucking eye gouges me like he is the heel in a 90s WWF match. And I can't see after that. The fight's got to be called off. And they're like, bummer, man. Here's your show money. And we're just going to act like the fight didn't happen. It goes down as a no contest. And you're like, well, wait a minute, though. The fight was stopped as a result of an illegal maneuver that we all saw that my opponent did that injured me. So how is that not a DQ? And I think the issue is that we get so caught up on intent with this stuff. Like, if if we don't think you were going out there trying to do the shit, we are really reluctant to give you a disqualification in this sport. And maybe that's weird. Maybe that's a thing that we need to revisit. Yeah. Just what did we did this 29 seconds into the first round right away. It's a bummer for everybody involved, including Austin Lane, who is a guy, frankly, that I slandered on a recent Patreon podcast as, cause you'll, you might remember Austin Lane as the guy who lost to Greg Hardy years ago on, uh, Dana White's contender series to to vault Greg Hardy into the UFC. And I said at some point on a Patreon show, we, we never heard from that guy again. Well, it turns out in the wake of that uh, loss to Greg Hardy, he lost his next one against Frank Tate. But then he went eight and one, won a couple of heavyweight titles in smaller organizations, including Ben being the Warfare FC heavyweight champion, which that just makes you sound badass. Yeah, uh, it does. He, he works his way back to a Dana White contender series fight, wins that first round TKO, gets into the UFC. It's like five years after he lost to Greg Hardy. And then he has this happen just 29 seconds into his octagon debut against Justin Taffa. He sends the, uh, the tweet out. He seems like a good dude, Austin Lane. He, he takes responsibility for this. He wishes Justin Taffa well in his recovery. This isn't the way anyone wanted it to end, but I will say, Maybe should be a DQ when you stop the fight owing to a foul committed by one person. Because if it's not, I don't know what kind of precedent you set, man, of a fighter just being like, well, if I commit a foul, maybe we just don't, we don't call this thing anything. It's not a win. It's not a loss. We make it a no contest. It's just a weird, it's a weird way to handle the rules in a sport where I feel like we handle the rules in a weird way frequently. Yeah, I mean, especially because it's like, I understand a little bit the argument that we don't want to give the other guy a DQ loss for what might be just sort of an honest mistake. We're in there, we're, we're, we're throwing heavy leather, shit can happen, you got, you're trying to push off and, and circle out of there, when you get in close, you push off the guy's face. I mean, granted, you're not supposed to have your fingers out in that situation, everybody's told that in the back, so that that is a counter-argument you can make. I understand that we don't want to put an L on the guy's record for that. You know, you look at the situation with John Jones, where the L on his record against Matt Hamill, where, you know, he's throwing all the kind of strikes he can think of trying to finish this guy off. He throws a technically illegal strike. Did he mean to throw it? Yeah. But also, he didn't really seem to realize that it was illegal as he's throwing it. We were okay with him elbowing the shit out of Matt Hamill's head like it was a pinata he was trying to get candy out of from all other angles except this one angle. And so it does feel weird to be like, okay, he's still walking around with this DQ loss on his record. We don't want to do that to other people. How about if we could find a way to enshrine in the rules that if it's a no contest, both guys get their win money? I mean, that would be a nice solution. 
you know the promoter's not going to do it of their own accord. Right. So maybe, maybe write it into the rules somewhere. Uh, of course, to make that happen, you would have to have an athletic commission that was willing to do the right thing for fighters and not necessarily just kowtow to the promoter, which seems like it's just not happening in a lot of places. Yes. Yeah. More and days. more, we have the other kind of athletic commission yeah. who says, what would you like, Mr. Promoter? Is there anything else I can get you? Perhaps a cool beverage. Last question this week comes to us from Christopher Black, who writes, Warmest regards and deepest thanks to the fighters at UFC Fight Night who gave me exactly what I wanted out of this show. Mostly early finishes. If I'm going to spend a Saturday (laughs) afternoon watching fights, at least have the human decency to get me out of there in a decent amount of time. Thanks. Now, Ben, I guess if you count Austin Lane versus Justin Taffa as a stoppage, it, it, it was stopped early, let's just say. Then you got four or five stoppages out of uh, four stoppages out of five fights on the main card of this thing. Brendan Allen submitted Bruno Silva in the first round. David Onama just shut the lights out on Gabriel Santos with an uppercut in the second round. And then, of course, Macy Barber with her beating of Amanda Hebas that we already talked about. Uh, Macy and David Onama both won fight or performance of the night bonuses. You know what I would say about this card? Well, this is an ABC card, and and the UFC frequently books these sort of slightly higher profile fight nights with violence in mind, with entertaining fights in mind, and I think they got that out of most of these fights. But it's also, it sort of illustrates the the gamble or the theory, the hypothesis that the UFC mostly operates on with these fight night events, and that is that the fans don't totally care who's fighting. In most of the fights, they can take these guys and throw them together in almost any either designed or random order. And more often than not, the naturally exciting sport of mixed martial arts is going to give you a couple of good fights. And you got that out of both of these openers, frankly, on the main card, Brendan Allen and Bruno Silva, David Onama and Gabriel Santos, where the winners of both those fights had to fight through a little bit of adversity. It looked like, uh, Brendan Allen might get knocked out in the first in the first fight, and then David Onama had to kind of get through a armbar triangle attempt from uh, from his opponent before he wins via knockout. Uh, and that seems fine for the fans. Like that's what a lot of people tune in to see. They just want two guys to get into a wild brawl that goes back and forth, and then you get an exciting stoppage. And the UFC, I think, figured that out at some point that they could kind of have all of these interchangeable parts, and as long as they put them together, uh, they will get just enough excitement to keep people interested. And I, it's just that seems like the marching orders right now. Not to discount what Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard do, because. It's got to be a headache these days, yeah. a pain in the ass to try to book all of these fight cards. But really, it seems like at least from the outside looking in, what we're doing is putting some people together that we think will make an exciting fight, regardless of any kind of outside relevance in, in the division or whatever. And then we're just counting on that to carry us through. And it seems like most of the time, unfortunately, I think they are right about that. Yeah. And uh, you would think that right now, these kinds of fight cards where we're putting on ABC at a time in the sports calendar where honestly ain't shit going on. Yeah. This is a good time to be trying to trot out some exciting fights, but on ABC, maybe get some new fans or expose some new faces where, where you got some young fighters where you want to get people excited about them. Uh, you know, Macy Barber, Brendan Allen, and Ilya Teporia are all good examples of those people where, you know, you might want to shine a little bit of a spotlight on them and be like, hey, 
are you aware of we got these people? Because these are some people that you're going to want to watch. And there's not a whole lot else competing with the the sports fans' attention on a Saturday afternoon there. So like I do think that, that those are some good opportunities where a sport like this that operates year-round and that sometimes it can be to its detriment that we're just basically doing this every Saturday, whether we got a good fight card lined up for you or not, the upside should be that when the other sports are like, okay, we're taking a breather, letting you take a breather, here's where you can come up and be like, not only are we on network TV and the Saturday afternoon time period where you might like there to be some sports on TV, but we got some exciting fights for you. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us right now we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one well ben coming into this fight Josh Emmett had said that Ilya Tupuria is really good when he gets to be the hammer, but that Josh Emmett was going to go out there and do his best to make Ilya Tupuria play the nail. That did not work out for Justin Emmett or Josh Emmett. I'm sorry. He came out of his corner in the first round very aggressively, throwing them thanks as he is known to do. And maybe in a minute we can talk about Josh Emmett's overall gameness which was uh, pretty unrelenting in this fight. But this turned into a showcase for Ilya Tapuria. Just another one of these very young, up-and-coming UFC potential stars, 26 years old. Uh, he, he, and he's flawless so far, 14-0, obviously undefeated in the UFC through six fights. And this one uh, against Josh Emmett, no different. He was coming off an impressive showing against Bryce Mitchell, which is no easy feat and now he goes out there kind of beats josh emmett any way he wanted to do it for 25 minutes and emerges with a very impressive victory that in any other division i think would make him a front runner for a title shot at featherweight perhaps it's a little bit more complicated just because it's such a shark tank there's so many guys out there but this has got to put Ilya topuria already within that group i would think you know you do something impressive as you mentioned earlier in the show it's such an immediate sport. It's a what have you done for me lately kind of sport. And so for Tupuria to put this in fans' minds right now, I think probably puts him on a, a short list for guys who could get an upcoming title shot. And at 26 years old, it just kind of seems like sky's the limit for this guy. The thing to me is it just seems like you have such a combination of, for one thing, poise yeah. In these situations where, you know, you mentioned early on where Josh Emmett seems like he's really trying to come after him right away to sort of seize the initiative, put Ilya Tapuria on the back foot. I, I thought it interesting, the commentators talking a little bit in that moment where they're saying, you know, sometimes in these sort of fights, the goal is to show the, you know, especially if you're dealing with like a younger or newer fighter who's on his way up as, and you've kind of been there a little bit longer is to show him you don't belong here. You're not here yet. I'm here, and I'm going to show you right away that there's a difference. Before he has a chance to get settled in, uh, see what you got, and start to feel comfortable. And it seemed like that was at least in some way part of 
Josh Emmett's game plan here, right? Is to go after him and not let him settle in. And it didn't work at all. Yeah. That even as you know, you're you're attacking him, you are making him defend a little bit, but he does not seem the least bit flustered by that. And very quickly starts to find his range, starts to find his rhythm. And he's also, you know, he's he's so crisp in some of these combinations that he's throwing, but also so quick that at times where it just seems like if he wanted to play it safer and just stay there behind a jab, he probably could have done that. And Josh Emmett might not have been able to, to catch up to it and do a whole lot about it. He was stringing together the punches and at times really going for it, trying to get Josh Emmett out of there. And it's only a sort of superhuman toughness physically and mentally on Josh Emmett's part that kept him in it as long as he was. But you you see a lot of the pieces that you're looking for already out of Ilya Teporia. The I mean, normally in this situation, the way our brains are programmed is to be like, okay, How's his grappling? How would he do against more of a wrestling-based fighter or something? But we did just watch him kind of school Bryce Mitchell on the ground even when he didn't have to. Go yeah. out there and submit Bryce Mitchell. So he he got some of that in there too. You know, that that's a tough guy to deal with. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of different skills from Ilya Tupuria as he goes along. He was actually a submission machine in his pre-UFC career, then comes in, puts three KOs in a row during his early octagon fights. Then, as you mentioned, gets Bryce Mitchell in an arm triangle choke, which is impressive, and then goes out here in his first five-round fight in the UFC and kind of styles on Josh Emmett, who is, if nothing else, a high-level, long-time professional fighter who is always dangerous. And Tupuria didn't seem bothered by any of that, just came out there and you know did his thing for five rounds, gets the decision, didn't seem to slow down at all had the quickness advantage, had a technical advantage, both offensive and defensively, I think, in this fight. Mixed in a nice takedown at one point, seemingly for shits and giggles, just like, all right, now I take this guy down. Why not? And did it. Uh, So, yeah, very impressive. Very impressed so far with Ilya Topuri. It'll be exciting to see how he develops and where he goes. Uh, He appears to have a tattoo on his chest that, first of all, has the letter T in the middle kind of in like a classy serif font could be like a times new Roman, maybe a Palatino, but he's got this, he's got the letter T. And then I think he has, if I'm not mistaken, Ben, a tiger head, but the tiger head is kind of split in half. And then in the middle of the tiger head, it appears to be Ilya Topuria's own face. So we usually, we say he got that dog in him, but in this case, it looks, seems like the big cat, has that Ilya Topuria in it. <laughs> uh, can we talk for a moment about Josh Emmett's corner and their yeah. approach here? A- Alpha male, right? Danny Castillo out there. Uh, and he worked back-to-back fights here. He was also in Macy Barber's corner. So co-main and main event for these guys. I would say increasingly desperate sounding, which maybe that's maybe that's to be expected when things are going this way for you. But uh, Ilya Tapuria actually, after this fight, questioned whether or not the corner and the referee should have let Josh Emmett keep going with his eye all swole as it was. I mean, the doctor who liked to speak behind his hand did come into the cage and check his his eyesight, and he did seem to pass kind of right away. And so they let the fight go. But yeah, no, what what are you going to say about the corner here? Well, a couple things really, but like I was struck by how 
Some of what the corner was saying to him in between rounds did not seem to me to match up with what we were seeing during the rounds. And I get that you got to do a little bit of that to pump your guy up, to get him to believe in himself, especially when it's not going well. But there are moments he's coming back to the corner and they're being like, we're in this. We're, you know, you're, you're doing great there. And I was like, was he though? He got just thumped on for the last five minutes. I don't, I mean, he's, he's showing a great deal of resilience. And I mean, honestly, I can't say enough about how impressed and amazed I was with Josh Emmett because there were moments in here where we're used to seeing it, where you're getting beat up, it's going badly for you, you get dropped, and the other guy's jumping on you, trying to take the opportunity to land a few quick strikes and get the referee to finish it. And you know in that situation as a fighter, they all know, they've seen this sport before, if you stay there and cover up and wait just a couple extra seconds, the referee will stop that. Yeah. And that, and it would be reasonable. Nobody is going to call you a coward for that. They're going to understand you, you were getting beat up pretty good, you were cut wide open your face is all swollen up you know you were losing that fight and probably weren't going to win it people would understand josh emmett had several of those opportunities where if he wanted out he could have had out without any criticism really and he did not want out he wanted to continue fighting and was throwing hard it wasn't just doing the thing of like hey i'm just trying to survive to the bell that we see some guys doing he was throwing hard looking for something that was going to get him back in that fight but he would come back to the corner and they'd be like see he doesn't want to stand in the pocket with you no one can stand in the pocket with you you throw too hard and it's like he is getting beat the fuck up what are you talking about I understand you're trying to seize on some positives here you're trying to give him something positive to work with but also I, I guess I wonder, are you able to draw the line between here's what we're saying to him to try to give him something that he can get off the stool with and go in there feeling good about, but are you also reasonable and, and, and realistic enough in your own minds to be looking at each other and being like, it's not going great, is it? And if it yeah. maybe continues to go great, maybe here's where we help our guy out. Because clearly, Josh Emmett is too damn tough and too damn stubborn to stop it himself. And it was especially tough with that eye. I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about the story that I did a, a few years ago about the cut men and talking to them kind of about how they view their craft and what they, what they're looking for between the rounds, where it's very much like a triage situation where you're trying to deal with what's the biggest problem that the guy is coming back to the corner with that I need to address. And you have such a limited amount of time to work that you, you kind of got to pick one or two things. You kind of can't do everything all at once. And so he comes back with a badly swollen eye that clearly they thought that's the big problem. They're trying to get the, the end swell on that eye and see if we can reduce the swelling a little bit. But also he's got a cut on the outside of that same eye. And so it's very tough to get the pressure on that eye to deal with the swelling at the same time that you address the cut. And so by the time he gets off the corner, okay, we dealt with the swelling a little bit, but it's still bleeding. Yeah. And that's still going to be a problem for you. And it's like when you have that much damage kind of centralized in one area, he's going to be compromised. Yeah. And that's where you would think like, I would hope his corner is at least paying attention to the possibility that we might need to do for him what he cannot do for himself here. Yeah, uh, it's worth just repeating the scores from the judges on this unanimous yeah. decision. It was 50-42, 50-42, 49 in favor of Ilya Tupuria. And you know, I don't know if they should have stopped this one. Obviously, yeah. Josh Emmett was taking a, a solid beating. He seems like the consummate guy that you might have to protect from himself because he's not going to give up. He has this unbelievable, unrelenting gameness that I mentioned 
early on. And, you know, he just fought for the interim championship against Yair Rodriguez just before this fight. So he knows he's still capable. He believes in himself or you'd assume that he believes in himself so much. And when you got the kind of power that Josh Emmett has, you got to be like every round thinking like, okay, even though I'm losing this, I still got a chance because if I just connect solidly with this guy one time, I can knock him out. So you got all those things at play. I don't know what the corner should have done. The doctor cleared the guy to keep fighting. It seemed to me on television that Josh Emma could still see, although his vision was clearly reduced. Uh, so I, it's a borderline call for me for what, what could have been done. But I believe there was a 10-7 round handed out on one of the scorecards here, which you don't see. You yeah. just don't see. And so that tells you how it went. But I think bottom line... Top top line story here, Ilya Tapuria, well-rounded, very impressive, undefeated guy who uh, will be very interesting to see what his trajectory continues to be. Yeah, and I guess lastly, the thing I would say is, you're right that Josh Emmett seemed like he was still with it, still wanted to continue, all that stuff. Um, and there is an argument to be made that one of the things that we as fans get out of this sport and one of the things that is that kind of reminds you why you watch it is not just some guy going in there and being really great at fighting. That is cool and everything, but also you see human beings pushed to this extreme limit, pushing themselves and each other to this extreme limit. And sometimes there's an element where it's inspiring to see what somebody can do, even in a losing effort, just because they don't want to give you the satisfaction of getting them out of there. And this is one of those fights where you come away being like, okay, Ilya Teporia, you're very excited about what he can do in the vision. And Josh Emmett, you know, he, he impressed you in an entirely different kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and you, you come away with a, a respect for both guys. And that's some of what is actually good about this sport, even if it comes sometimes at a kind of terrible cost. Yeah. All right. Let's do. Are you fucking kidding me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, I assume you saw former middleweight champion, Alex Pereira's social media post over the weekend where he's walking around Walmart. He's just, you know, he's trying to get his groceries, maybe pick up uh, an antifungal cream for his athlete's foot, whatever you're doing over there at Walmart. Uh, Getting followed around by one of these store employees who I believe is an anti-theft specialist. Let's just call him that. But uh, store detective, essentially. Following Alex Pereira around the store, trying to protect the interest of the multi-billionaire family that owns the Walmart trying to make sure these guys don't steal anything. I guess this week, are you fucking kidding me? Store detective guy. This one ain't worth it. <laughs> Whatever they are paying you, my man, it is not worth it to uh, enrage Alex Pereira, who is not going to steal anything to begin with. But if he did, if he tried, let this man have whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Let him walk out of the Walmart with a cart full of stolen goods and just be like, I wasn't doing that, that one, man. Like you could give me all the hazard pay in the world. And I'm not attempting to stop Alex Pereira from walking out of this Walmart with whatever he wants. You fucking kidding me. This is that's you bit off more than you could chew here. If you're the store detective. Yeah. I I mean, if I'm in that job, I don't care if Alex Pereira walks out of there with a big screen TV. Yeah, he can have it on his back, just carrying it right out the front door. And I'd be like, can I open your car for you, sir? Could I open the tailgate on your truck and help you load that? They asked me what I did about it. 
as he walked out of there with that that TV on his shoulder, I'd be like, I got the license plate. <laughs> as he was driving away, I yeah. jotted down the license plate. Here it is. Why don't you go to his house? Talk yeah. to him about it. Call see if he'll the give the SWAT TV team. back. Maybe they'll come get the TV. Let me know how me. it goes. Yeah. I'm clocking out. <laughs> take a, take an early lunch. You fucking kidding me? But yeah, this week, Maya, are you fucking kidding me? Did you happen to notice at one point during the broadcast, Dominic Cruz, and it's difficult to say with what degree of seriousness he was trying to make this argument, claimed with a ton of confidence, really, that cauliflower ear develops as padding to protect your brain. Mm-hmm. He said it like he was so sure of it. Yeah. Like he, he surprised other people didn't know this. Daniel Cormier was even like, what, really? <laughs> <laughs> These are a couple. Daniel Cormier, that's a guy who's been around some cauliflower ear. Yeah, knows his way around some cauliflower ear. I was like, really? And Dominic was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. It's the reason why you didn't know it. It's because it's not even remotely true. <laughs> I don't know where Dominic Cruz, did he just make this up? Did someone tell him this? Did he read it on a Reddit thread and just took it as gospel? I don't know. Chad, cauliflower ear basically just develops when the tissue inside your ear loses contact with the skin on the outside of your ear, basically through being squished and smashed over and over again. Uh, And then the tissue inside is not getting the blood flow. The blood instead will pool in between the tissue and the skin of the ear, which is why that's when you can drain it at that point when it becomes big and soft and you can drain it and get a surprising amount of blood out of there. And if you don't, and if that disconnect between the tissue and the skin continues, then the tissue inside starts to die because it's not getting the blood supply it needs. And then it hardens and that's kind of it. And you can't do anything about it. Then that's what cauliflower ear is. It's not your body's attempt to be like, oh, clearly this guy is a badass fighter. I need to develop some extra padding for him. Got nothing to do with that. Not sure where you came up with that, Dominic Cruz. Probably shouldn't just be saying stuff on TV. Like, you know you must have kind of fucked up when the big question afterwards is, was this guy fucking with us? Yeah. Did he, is he just making shit up just to see what Daniel Cormier will believe? Is this Dominic Cruz's <laughs> attempt to entertain himself during these fight nights? Are you fucking kidding me? He's just got no me? basis in fact whatsoever. Maybe he has a bet with Michael Bisping to see who can get <laughs> DC to believe the most outlandish thing. You know, normally it's DC who's just saying stuff on these broadcasts. So for Dominic Cruz to roll in and probably win the just saying stuff award, for the UFC on ABC card is really uh, an impressive feat. Also, I would say, I feel like everything Dominic Cruz says on the broadcast is deathly serious. He's not yeah. out here crack. That's not his role. He's the smart guy commentator. He's not the funny guy commentator. So this is, seems like something he truly believes. Sounds like something he heard at one point, maybe uh, in a discussion with Dr. Joe Rogan. I'm just going to th- throw out some names. But yeah, this is a, this is like when you catch a... a a tidbit of a conversation. And you then you after that, you're like, did you know sharks live in a society? Yeah, they uh, <laughs> have a structured society. I saw it on yeah. uh, I saw it on the Discovery Channel, whatever. Feels like the kind of uh, information you might read in Modern Jackass. Yeah, you know what I'm sure. saying? All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
Jed, the PFL is monkeying around a little bit with how this shit's supposed to go, basically because they felt like the fight wasn't good enough, and damn it, they don't want to see anybody rewarded for it. You had this bout between Natan Schulte and Roush Manfio. Uh, they fought in a prelim bout on PFL 6, and not a ton of meaningful action across three rounds for this one, uh, which might be explained by the fact that these guys have said that they are best fucking friends. And uh, I'm going to read you a quote here from Manfio, who said this to uh, MMA Fighting in an April 2021 interview. Quote, He's my best friend. <laughs> he has helped me with everything I asked. He had the money of the from previous PFL seasons and helped me pay for my rent several times when I had no money. He bought something for me to eat. I'm in the United States because of him. He's a friend sent by God. On the other side, I felt terrible having to ask him that. Are you going to take these two dudes, one who feels like He's had food put in his mouth by his friend sent by God. You're going to put him in a cage, have him fight each other. They don't absolutely kill each other. It ends up looking kind of like a sparring session where nobody really wants to hurt each other. And then PFL says, you know what? We're not going to let you advance off of that one. As PFL put it, did not meet the standards which all PFL fighters agree to uphold in competition. All fighters and PFL fight agreements agree to use, quote, their best efforts, skills, and abilities as a professional athlete to compete and defeat any opponent. It was very clear that Natan and Roush did not meet that contractual standard in yesterday's bout. PFL immediately suspended both fighters from the season and deemed the fight to have zero points for purposes of league standings. And so, Jed, as a result, Shane Burgos advances to the playoffs. Uh, he's going to be the number four seed. He faces the top seed, Clay Collard. And a lot of people kind of sit around now wondering, so PFL can just do that, huh? Mm -hmm. PFL can just decide, you won, but did you really? We don't think so. Go home. Yeah. Very surprised to learn that the PFL has a try-your-hardest clause in mm -hmm. their contracts. That's interesting. And if anything, I think you can charge Natan Schultz and Hausch Manfio with violating the social contract of MMA fighting here because this was a bad fight, and it did look like a fight between a couple of guys who didn't want to hurt each other. And I feel like you outlined quite well the reason that they didn't want to hurt each other and the reasons why they didn't want to have this fight in the first place. They are training partners and best friends. One of them is the godfather to the other's child. They didn't want to do this thing. And the PFL put them together uh, to fight. I mean, I guess if you're involved in the same season together, maybe you should anticipate that you're going to have to fight each other. But at the same time, I think it's understandable that the way they reacted to this is the way that they reacted to it. Uh, Natan Schultz, a multi-time PFL tournament winner. So he, it sounds to me like he's fulfilled the try your hardest clause in all of his other PFL fights with great to great success, actually. And so I, this is a strange decision from the PFL. And the thing that I will say is, First of all, seems totally MMA for something like this to happen in the PFL at the moment that it felt like the PFL was starting to establish some momentum in the industry, right? They just had the Francis Ngannou signing. They're starting to make waves. There's rumors of this Bellator purchaser merger, whatever it may be. We're starting to say, okay, PFL, that you know, not necessarily going to challenge the UFC for supremacy, but starting to seem like a player, at least in this market. And then they do some shit like this. And I'll tell you, Whenever we talk about one of these B-League MMA organizations, the thing that I always say is, give me something different. Do something different than what the UFC is doing. 
so that you don't look just like a shittier version of the UFC. And regardless of what you think about the tournament format or the season format that the PFL has, it is in fact something different. And the thing that I feel like it effectively establishes that the UFC does not always establish these days. We just talked about the UFC's theory for these fight night events where they're like, throw anybody out there and whatever happens, happens, and we'll get a couple of entertaining fights and that'll be good enough. The thing that the PFL effectively establishes with its season, regardless if you like the format or not, is stakes. The UFC doesn't always have stakes and the PFL has stakes. These two guys are fighting to get into the the playoffs, the semifinals of the tournament. Stakes. And when you go in there with the invisible hand of the promoter and you say, no, we're going to kick both these guys out. We're going to put Shane Burgos in. You undermine the stakes. You undermine the reason you were doing the whole thing in the first place. And that, to me, is what sucks about this, Uh, even though you watch this thing and it was a bizarre and bad fight and they had a gentleman's agreement where the corner the corner men would not say a word so silent corners during this fight but i don't know i don't know what you expected from these two guys let let the season play out as the season plays out don't go in there and start uh trying to manipulate things it undermines the whole thing that the pfl has going for it yeah it really does especially when that is part of your sales pitch to people is that like hey the criticism you hear of a lot of other fight promotions where right, the promoter picks favorites, other people have to work twice as hard to get any kind of shine. We don't do that here. We let it sort itself out in a more pure sport format. And then when you do something like this, you kind of only really have to do it once or twice to completely undermine your whole thing. Yeah. Because people are going to remember that. And, you know, I... I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people being like, I'm not upset about getting to see Shane Burgos in there. Like that's, but the Especially problem is Clay Collard. Like no one's yeah, going to argue with gonna, that matchup. That's going to be a good fight, but also this is how you kind of creep into doing the same shit that other promoters are doing. And then where to, where does that leave your unique sales proposition yeah. as a, as a brand? Yeah. The other two other things that kind of, irked me about this is first of all this was a this fight was on the prelims it wasn't even on the main card of the pfl so it was probably witnessed by literally tens of viewers right Who who's out here watching the pfl prelims even if you were embarrassed by it even if you didn't think it was a great fight even if you didn't necessarily want to reward the guys in it ain't nobody saw it you might as well just yeah. be like multi-time pfl champion natan schultz advances to the semifinals if you want to apologize because it was a bad fight and they didn't get the, you know, they didn't give the fans their money's worth or whatever, you could have done that. But it seems like by doing this, you're just creating a bigger problem. And I think that kind of sucks if you are the PFL trying to make your way in this MMA world. The other thing that I would say is that, man, the broadcast buried this thing from start to finish. The broadcast, which is great, the PFL broadcast is one of my favorites. In all of MMA, they do a great job. Uh, Sean O'Connell, Randy Couture, they had Dan Hardy on this thing. They usually do a terrific job. Man, they cut to their gambling guy, and he started burying this fight within the first two minutes. We didn't know how it was going to play out at that point. It turned out they were right. It did play out as a glorified sparring match. 
And I guess you got to give them credit for telling us the truth throughout the fight. That's one of the things we ask for from these MMA broadcasts. But at the same time, it was almost like the the broadcast team made this an issue that you couldn't ignore because they wouldn't stop talking about how what a shitty fight and how these guys weren't trying their hardest. And so I don't know, man, it just seems like a PFL created problem that the right. PFL then went in and made worse by trying to manipulate the the results. Yeah, and don't you think the the speed with which they went, okay, this sucks, and it's because these guys are, are turning in some bullshit for you here. Don't you think that that's something they kind of had in their heads? Like, yeah, we know what's going on here, that these guys are two best friends. One of them feels that the other is a friend sent by God. <laughs> and we're kind of on the lookout that maybe this is something that could happen. And then when you do see it happening, you switch to fuck these guys. Yeah. And honestly, like, okay, fine. Like, yeah, it's not a great fight. Isn't that enough, though? Can't you just just do that on the broadcast? Maybe tell yourselves in the future <laughs> we'll try to keep people from fighting their their bosom buddies, and we'll we'll talk shit on them on the broadcast, and then we'll move on. Like I that, that could have been all there was to it. Yeah, you know. And uh, yeah, like I said, it was going to be Schultz in the in the semis, and he in the in the past has shown that he does in fact try hard when he's not fighting his friend sent by God or whatever. So. So let him go up in there and see how see how things shake out. But that's not what they did, and now we're all talking about it, which doesn't seem great for the PFL. We should be talking about him for other reasons. All right, yeah. that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, I guess I will start off round three with an apology. I'm sorry to the listeners that we're going to talk about this stuff. But as I was sitting at my desk making the the plan, the pre-production plan for this episode of the co-main event, I had to ask myself, man, if we're not doing the co-main event podcast to talk about the possibility of Elon Musk fighting Mark Zuckerberg in a cage, what are we even doing here? Yeah. If you want to listen to a podcast that does a, a blow by blow breakdown of Sean Strickland against Abbas Magomedov from this weekend's UFC Fight Night event, there's plenty of that shit out there for you. For the next few minutes here, we will talk about the absolute ridiculousness of the idea of Mark Zuckerberg fighting Elon Musk in the UFC's octagon. Seems like these two guys have worked themselves into a shoot. Uh, some idle social media banter has taken on a life of its own. And now you've got Dana White, who not two, three weeks ago was sitting there on the stage saying, we don't do gimmick fights. That's not what we do here. Is filming a, a, a trollish ass Instagram video of himself wearing a Zuckerberg versus Musk t-shirt with the UFC logo on his sleeve. Shades of the Zufa boxing as I said at the beginning of the show, where all we did was print up the t-shirts and it never got beyond that. I don't even know what you make of this entire situation except to say if you needed a bright flashing sign to tell you that the stuff Dana White says while he's sitting on that podium ain't worth a pinch of salt, well, you got it. Now you got it because here we are trying to make the biggest fight in the history of the universe or whatever he called it. First thing I'm going to say here, these two nerds are not going to fight each other. That, Probably they're just right. not. Probably right. I believe Zuckerberg would absolutely do it because <laughs> as we have learned, 
Mark Zuckerberg has almost immediately upon getting into jujitsu become a jujitsu guy. And a couple key things about being a jujitsu guy, especially a kind of like beginner first few years of jujitsu level jujitsu guy. One is claiming like that I was not out at that tournament. Please don't put it in a newspaper that I was choked out in the tournament. I was never out. I was just grunting effortless, effortfully as I was on my way to winning these, these matches. That's classic jujitsu guy shit. Other classic jujitsu guy shit is when you see an opportunity to fight somebody who you know doesn't know shit about jujitsu, you jump on that. Because you know there's a huge difference between having a little bit of jujitsu and having no jujitsu at all. You're like, oh, I could tap that guy out. I could I could play tough guy against that guy. Like, I'm in here in the gym with these dudes who are being kind of nice to me because <laughs> I'm, like, one of the richest men in the world. And, uh, you know, I you run up against your own limits a little bit, but you see, like, oh, this guy, this guy wants to talk? Like, oh, no, I will definitely fight him because he doesn't know shit. I could yeah. beat him. I know I could. Like, that's that's classic jujitsu guy shit, too. So, like, Mark Zuckerberg, I absolutely believe you do it. Elon Musk is just trying to be... The internet's chief silly little guy yeah, at all times. And yeah. and so he wants to be liked, wants to be cool. He can't say, no, I would not do a fight because I don't know anything about fighting. And Mark Zuckerberg actually does. He can't say no to that. So he has to say yes. But this is also the guy who had to buy Twitter because he just accidentally kind of talked himself into it by just saying stuff. So... Yeah, he he would love to be able to just say he'll do stuff and then not do it. It's just that occasionally you are forced legally to do some shit after you talk about how you're going to do it. This is one he's going to be able to wriggle out of, I'm sure, and he's going to want to wriggle out of. Let's here's what I want to zero in on for a moment. Dana White's, I mean, obviously bullshit immediate about face from that's not the kind of fight we make. We only, you know, the we're, we're the best fights or the best, you know, all that kind of shit to going like, oh, these two dudes who aren't fighters. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would absolutely positively do this is the way he put it. Here's Dana White's quote about the interest in the fight. This would be the biggest fight ever in the history of the world. <laughs> Bigger than anything that's ever been done. It would break all pay-per-view records. These guys would raise hundreds of millions of dollars for charity. You don't have to be a fight fan to be interested in this fight. Everybody would want to see it. Now, first of all, if you think that Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, and Dana White are all going to team up for a fight where all the money goes to charity, then you must not know shit about any of them. (laughs) You just must not know how they do. Because yeah. first of all, these guys want to give a whole bunch of money to charity. They don't got to fight to do it, Jed. They could, yeah, just, they could just give the it. money. Yeah. They could just do it right now. Wouldn't even miss that money. So also, I don't see Dana White being like, oh, yeah, it's all for a good cause. Sure, we'll get we'll get involved in that. That sounds, sounds like this would really benefit charity. Like, no, that is not how Dana White does. So put that out of your mind right to begin. But. This this claim he makes that this would be the biggest fight in the history of the world, yeah. bigger than anything that's ever been done. Ali Frazier, forget that shit. Forget all the, you know, the big fights we've seen in MMA between people who have trained their entire lives to get to this point. Forget it all. A, guy, a recreational jujitsu guy 
against, you know, Richie Rich with a weird torso when he takes his shirt off. That would be the biggest fight in the history of the world. Let's say, for the sake of argument, just for a moment, Chad, that that's true. Okay. Let's say that just the number of people that you could get to come pay money to watch that fight actually is greater than the number of people who will pay to see fighters fight. What would that say about this sport and this business? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the mere suggestion that two of the richest men in the world would engage in a cage fight against each other is some true demise of the empire shit, right? Like (laughs) that belongs in a textbook right next to let them eat cake, right? Like that and like bespoke vacation pleasure cruising submarine suffers catastrophic implosion. That's like, that should be, those two things should be in a textbook that future children read when they're like, tell me about the fallen empire that was the United States of America. That's signifiers that we are in the end times of all of this bullshit. And normally, this is a situation, obviously, that the Gracies could never have imagined when they invented the (laughs) UFC in 1993 as a half-assed marketing campaign for their jujitsu brand. Never could they have imagined that a couple decades later, two of the richest men on earth would be, if nothing else, invoking it in conversation. But like, if you would have told me, 15 years ago that at one point the two richest guys in the world or two of the richest guys in the world would be talking about fighting in the UFC. I would have been like, Oh, well that must mean that the UFC has, has uh, elevated itself to become a major part of the mainstream culture, which I guess maybe is true. But in this instance, it seems like what it actually means is that the, the baseline culture for billionaires has declined to such an extent that now you got these two absolute jabronis talking about fighting each other in the cage. It's, it's unbelievable. I agree with you that like the two nerds are probably not going to actually do the damn thing. But I will say as a caveat, hasn't, isn't the lesson, the, the, uh, the lasting lesson of Mayweather McGregor that you can never say never. Sure. Um, I do think the, the big obstacle here is Elon Musk's tremendous ego because he's not going to get in there and get embarrassed, which he surely would. I don't know. We've already seen him get talked into some shit. He shouldn't have done. We've already seen that. He, he wants to be cool so badly. And if anything, his whole existence is proving that you cannot buy your way into cool, no matter how much money you have. And there's no way he's going to get it. I mean, you saw just like the paparazzi photos of him with his shirt off, right? Yeah. Like, he doesn't even want to do that part of it. And so, I there's no way I believe that he is actually... Mark Zuckerberg, absolutely, he will go in there. And, like, you know, do a semi-competent guillotine choke on Elon Musk if you let him. But Elon Musk is not going to agree to that. It's weird how this seems like sort of of a piece of our cultural bent towards, like, celebrity boxing. That kind of thing where you can sort of half-ass fashion your way into being a tough guy, a fake tough guy. If you want to. And the UFC, it seems like its role here in even participating, because 
frankly, if these two dudes wanted to do a fight, the last thing they need is the help of a promoter. They own the fucking internet. Yeah. Chad, they own everything you would use to promote a fight already between the two of them. They don't need Dana White as a middleman standing there shouting about how you should buy it. Like, if anything, he's in the way. Uh, so the thing the UFC gives you is the UFC can say, hey, you guys could come do your fight in the UFC. We will grant you this veneer of legitimacy. And then you guys get to walk around afterwards telling your rich guy friends, I fought in the UFC. And they go, yeah, man. And like... It's fake tough guy bullshit. It's, just, it's you know, buying a college degree, basically. You know, it's it's like a, a way to kind of stand adjacent to the thing without actually putting in the time and work that other people have to do to get the thing. It, you know, our sort of our culture writ large, I guess, in a way. But like the the idea that. Everybody would want to see it. First of all, what would they see when they tuned in? Not a good fight. Everybody would come away from that being like, oh, yeah, there is a reason why some people train at this to get good at it and why we watch those people typically and not other people. And yet it also like the idea that like, okay, we're going to see these two rich guys get in there and pretend like they're fighters. Uh, and we're going to also pretend like we need to see that. Like we need to find out who's going to win between like it sort of undercuts the entire idea of pro fighting. The whole idea we tell ourselves we are doing is trying to figure out the best fighter in the world in each weight class. Right. Like that's that's why we got to do it every weekend and talk about the rankings and who's moving up and who's moving down. The whole reason you do a fight between 12 and 13 in the rankings is because ostensibly we're telling ourselves, well, we got to move up so, so that number two can fight number one. And so we must constantly be reevaluating this pecking order. And then two guys who don't know shit about this and just come in and just because they are already famous for other shit and people go, well, okay, the we... We suspect that in many ways our culture might be bullshit and that a lot of people who are important in our culture are bullshit and are frauds. Elon Musk is a great example where there's a whole lot of people sitting around being like, this guy keeps wanting to pose as like a genius billionaire, but I don't think he's that smart. And the promise here for a whole lot of people would be, okay, you can fake it in almost every area of our culture. But if you get in there against somebody who actually knows how to fight, he can make you bleed your own blood and we could all watch and find out that, yeah, you don't actually know anything about this. You were faking. That's kind of the appeal. And I'm not saying that that appeal wouldn't even work on a whole lot of people. It also would just feel really sad. Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially if you're a real pro fighter making fucking 16 and 16 in the UFC and you're like, Oh, okay, so the thing I should have been is just like some fucking and like Richie Rich inherited wealth dude who just showed up in here uh, without any skills whatsoever. Cool, yeah. thanks. Every UFC fighter is like, if I would have been bequeathed generational wealth by my parents, there's no way I'd be fighting in the cage. Yeah, I'd be doing something the, different. Where I went wrong was not inheriting an emerald mine. <laughs> 
I, I mean, not that I want to grant this any legitimacy, but you got one guy who's 170 pounds soaking wet and another guy who's well up over two bills. I don't know how you put these two guys <laughs> Did together. Did you see the graphic on Fox <laughs> News where they were like, they were trying to be like, this guy's, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, like 5'7", like 156. They build Elon Musk at like 6'1", 187 pounds or something. You're like, no fucking way, <laughs> man. Of all the misinformation Fox News has put out there, that might strain believability the most yeah come on i'm six foot three and 215 pounds of twisted <laughs> steel and sex appeal if that's uh if those are the true numbers on on elon Mark musk 187 pounds in the media guide you have to do this at the apex with nobody there secured as he tight as a button uh it's got to be the only fight on the card because what are you going to tell max holloway and the korean zombie they're the co-main to Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk? I guess, No, I, I think he said he was going to put it on a real UFC card and they'd be the main event. Yeah, he's fucking assholes. Uh, that's not going to happen. Anyway, we're sorry. No. I, we're, we apologize <laughs> for engaging in this discussion. Uh, all right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, have you been paying attention to uh, the, the big homie Oklahoma Senator Mark Wayne Mullen? I mean, what he's been up to lately. We all know that Mark Wayne Mullen is a is a a known guy in the MMA. So he's MMA adjacent, let's say, in the same way Zuckerberg and Musk are. What's he up to these days? Well, Mark Wayne Mullen, I believe, the first uh, U.S. senator to have MMA experience. Mm-hmm. You know, before he became an elected official, and has been the guy pushing for the Ali Act expansion, and had you know the UFC executives have to come and testify where and he was kind of a real dick about it too also uh very enthusiastically involved in january 6th so that's something to know about mark wayne mullen he's been getting into it with sean o'brien a lawyer for the international brotherhood of teamsters or i think he actually the international Brotherhood of teamsters ceo uh excuse me but uh sean o'brien after these kind of contentious hearings goes on uh, Twitter and is talking about Mark Wayne Mullen, says, greedy CEO who pretends he's self-made, in reality, just a clown and fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Hashtag little man syndrome. Now, then... Mark Wayne Mullen going to fire back and say, an attention-seeking union teamster boss is trying to be punchy after our Senate hearing. Okay, I accept your challenge. MMA fight for charity of our choice. September 30th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'll give you three days to accept. <laughs> oh, wow. Everybody trying to cage fight these yeah, days. We got to make a law. Speaking of which, we should just outlaw this. No, no, no cage fights for charity. No more. I'm just saying this week, in many ways, Mark Wayne Mullen is the perfect representative from the MMA world to become a U.S. senator. Because we, when MMA sends people, we should send somebody who is representative of the, the field. You know, not, not necessarily like our standouts, our exceptions to the rule. We should let people know, this is kind of what you could expect over here in this world, is a Mark Wayne Mullen. We'd love it if a Brian Stan would go run for something, vote for him in a heartbeat. It'd be great. Mark Wayne Mullen is what you're more likely to get, though, if you were yeah. just to pick somebody out of the MMA pool at random. Yeah. There you go. I'm just saying. Just saying. I mean, we did send Sharice Davids to the house, so... 
I mean, that's a feather in our cap. She seems like a there good it person. Is. Yeah. Uh, ben, this week, all Jermaine Sterling was over there on Jake Paul's BS video podcast, which is a good name okay. for anything involving Jake Paul. Uh, but here was his quote about how he views his relationship with the UFC. He says, I almost feel like maybe the UFC is almost like my pappy, you know? So I look at them like my dad, where I almost feel like I need to prove something to pops. Be like, oh, yeah, you think this? I'm going to show you, motherfucker. So I guess this week I'm just saying, number one, that seems like a pers- perceptive uh, opinion by Aljamain Sterling of his relationship with the UFC. But also I'm just saying, isn't that kind of exactly what the UFC wants? They want the mm-hmm. fighters to think of them as this sort of like overarching authority figure who is looking on them perhaps with disdain, but also sort of like, come on, Aljamain, we know you can do better than this, bud. If you just commit, uh, you know, commit yourself and try hard, you can get out there and accomplish big things, buddy. Let's let's do it. Is that is that kind of what they want? They want, you know, Dana White wants you to think of him as this older gentleman who would really like you to do something that impresses him. Kind of like that's I feel like that's the unspoken part, but it's kind of what they're angling for. All Jermaine, you might not you might want to go a different way with with how you view your relationship with them. Just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. They're also kind of going to be the Logan Roy type of father, yes, exactly. where always making you strive for approval that will you will never get, yeah. and using it to pit you against each other so that you will never unite against them. Yeah. Uh, they're going to find the document where it's like, is all Jermaine Sterling's name underlined or is it crossed out? <laughs> Hard to know. All right, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, we are over at the Patreon page all week this week. Uh, Wednesday's live chat. Thursday's doing the damn thing. Friday's the power hour. We'll keep you entertained over there. Check us out. Patreon.com slash co-main event. As of right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You might want to think of it as, like, just a business relationship. Mm -hmm. Just, like... They are the promoter, I'm the fighter, their job is to sell the fights, my job is to win the fights, and that's just how we do it. Not like, they're my dad. Although I do appreciate that he said pappy here. Yeah. Like that. But eh, it's not your dad, man. They're just like, yeah, the somewhat exploitative business partners that you work with. I don't hear people say pappy that often. No, pappy's a good one. More people should say pappy, in fact. I'm a real